You know, I, I, uh, I knew I had a limited time, and I thought, what can I talk about? Uh, it's been a while since I've been here, and I wanted to talk about something relevant. And uh, the thing that weighs on my heart as one of the most important issues that we must understand today is holiness. Holiness. In fact, before I, I preach, I'm just going to bow in prayer. Would that be okay? And if you'd join me. Father in heaven, Lord, we are on holy ground now, and as we come into your presence during this Sabbath, and I just pray that uh, your spirit will be here. Speak to our hearts, Lord. We know that Jesus is coming soon. There's such a great work left to do, and we know that there's no limit to what you can do in and through us except our own full surrender. I pray that your word will come alive today and that you'll teach us how to apply it to our lives. Be with me, forgive my sins, that uh, it's ultimately your voice that is heard. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now just, my mother-in-law's here, she's always telling me, button your jacket, but they got two belt packs on me today, <laughs> so I can't do that. That's my story and I'm sticking to it, so. I remember reading years ago about someone named Simon Stylite. He was a young man living in Syria, the border of Turkey, and uh, when he was 14 years old, father was a shepherd, very poor. He, uh, he heard the Sermon on the Mount, and he had a very pious mother, and it so deeply affected him, he thought nothing could be more important than being pure of heart. But he realized there was so much sin in the world, how could he do that? And so he thought, maybe if I go out into the wilderness and join a monastery, and if I afflict my soul, that was sort of popular back then, and he joined the monastery, and, and he was so rigorous in his devotions, the monastery kicked him out because he would go days without eating. At one point he went, they say he went the entire Lent without eating or drinking. And they, he said that was a miracle. He was in a cave where it was cool and moist, but that's hard to imagine. But uh, they said, you're taking it too far. You're going to kill yourself. And then he would go off in the desert, and he stayed in a cave, and he would try to be alone with God. But people realizing he was a holy man, they kept coming to him for advice. And when he couldn't find time alone with God horizontally, he decided to try and do it vertically. So he found a pillar, and there were plenty of broken pillars there in that part of the uh, old Roman Empire. And he made a platform on top of this pillar. They called him Simon Stylite because stylite is a Greek word, a style, a pillar in Greek. And he sat on this pillar and he would just fast and pray and ate very little for days. And the more he did that, the more people came to him. They thought, this is a holy man. He is so close to heaven. So he kept getting taller pillars. And, he, you know, at first he was just on like a six-foot pillar, and then he eventually worked his way up to one that was 60 feet high. And he spent 37 years living on about a five-by-five five platform, exposed to the elements. I think he had a coat. He wore a rough, hairy garment because he thought, you know, if it's too comfortable, I'll be too worldly. So it was coarse. And um, people would bring him bread and milk, and they'd climb up a ladder, and they'd ask him questions, and they'd haul things up and lower it down by rope, and he lived up on a pillar trying to get close to heaven. 
37 years, Simon Stylite. There were many that followed after him, and they called him the Stylites. One man named Anatoly in France, he decided he wanted to be closer to God, and he didn't have any local pillars, so he put a chair on his kitchen table in his house and decided to put on a hairy garment, and he would try to be close to God. But the other people in the home, the cook and the other family, didn't appreciate the sublime thing he was doing. And they made his life so miserable, he finally came down off his chair, off the kitchen table. And he said, I discovered it's very hard to be a saint in your own home. And that's why Jerome went out into the desert when he was trying to find holiness. Holiness is certainly important. If you forget all the verses today, don't forget this one. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace and among the things you're pursuing, pursue, pursue holiness and he goes on to say, without holiness, not just a, a few, or it will not be limited, but no one will see the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets my attention. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. I want to see him face to face someday, don't you, friends? Christians are kidding themselves if they think that the only holiness that God is calling for from us is that which we receive through justification. There is a holiness of sanctification that we receive where we walk with the Lord in a new life. We become new creatures with new hearts and we're being called to holy lives. The word holy, well in Hebrew it's kadash. In Greek, hagios. And it means to be separate. This is called the Holy Bible. It's separate and distinct from other books and we treat it with reverence. And in the bachelor home, we don't set anything on the Bible. You know, we'll have Bibles on the shelf, but we, I've been in Bible studies before where I saw somebody like set their coffee cup on the Bible. I said, do you mind if I move that? I said, that's the Holy Bible. This is a communication from God to man. It's separate. Marriage, it's called holy matrimony. Made vows with Karen. I have no other girlfriends but Karen. Doesn't mean I don't know of any other girls out there, but I've got a lot of boyfriends, don't misunderstand. But I only have, you know what I mean. I've got the beard now because I've been on a couple of camping trips and I found it was just easier, uh, save time. The Bible says, yeah, conserve, redeem the time because the days are evil. So it just takes half as time, much time to shave now. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. But um, it's a holy relationship. It's set apart. And we are being called to be set apart, to be distinct, to be unique. We belong to God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You know, I like, um, I like finding beautiful places in the world. But you probably discovered that the most beautiful places are hard to get to. The reason I ended up in the cave up in the mountains is because when I was 15 years old and I was hitchhiking through Palm Springs, camping in the base of the valley with all these hippies and they were partying and there was junk and cans and this guy and his girlfriend went hiking by and I said, where'd you come from? And I said, we live up there. I said, you live up there? How far? And they said, oh, it's just back a ways up in the hills. We live in a cave. How long have you been there? And the guy had been there for 11 years. 
and his, his wife had been there about four years, and they had a baby. I said, wow, that just so impressed me. I said, I'd love to see that. And they said, well, we're getting our groceries, and when we leave town, you can follow us up. Well, by the time they came back to our campsite where all these hippies were partying, the sun had gone down. They said, you still want to go? And I said, sure. My friend at that point gave up. He was from Brooklyn, and he decided to stay. But I thought, uh, that looks like it'd be beautiful up there. And so I began to follow, and I could not keep up with this girl with a baby on her back. And here I was 15 years old. And he had, you know, like 40 pounds of supplies and he was leading the way and I'm huffing and puffing and panting and saying, how far? He said, oh, just around the hill. <laughs> well, you know, in New York, I'm thinking you got one block or something and I had no idea what he meant by that, but just an hour and a half later, how much fun, I'm just dying. <laughs> and the sun went down, it was completely dark and all I could see, I remember, all I could see was the faint glow of her socks that stuck out above her boots. There were just some little white socks. And I'm following these two things that are going up, because I'm on my hands and knees just about. It's very steep. And I'm just going like this, and I'm stumbling along, bumping into Choya Bush and getting all scratched up. And then they get me to a cave, and I could hear the water running. I, went, I remember going crashing through some brush where there was a creek, and it was all dark. And then they told me, they said, um, there's a sleeping bag here. We're going up to our, our uh, summer cave and you can stay here. I said, you're leaving me here? <laughs> I was so tired, I didn't really care. And I crawled in this damp sleeping bag and I tried to fall asleep and I heard all these things rustling. I later learned they were just like rats, but they sound very big in the leaves at night. And I thought they were like bears. <laughs> and um, I woke up in the morning though and it was so beautiful. There's these waterfalls coming through granite rocks and this cave and this ferns and and uh, guy and his wife were sunbathing naked on the rock not too far away from me. <laughs> but this was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It was a beautiful, it was an oasis up there in the hills and it was pristine and there was no junk and no garbage and the reason it was so pretty is because it was off the path and hard to get to. You want to have an exciting Christian life, there's nothing more exciting than trying to find what holiness is. If you want to know how to sin, I don't need to talk to you because you all are probably just fine at that. We're all pretty good naturally. But to try to be like Jesus, to live a holy life, it gives you an experience, you will see and experience things that are wonderful. People think about holiness and it scares them. They think about it as prohibitions. It's the most wondrous thing to be able to have a relationship like that. Now, I don't claim that I've achieved it, but I've tasted it. And that's what I want, and that's what I need, and that's what you need, because without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. You're gonna have to take that up with Jesus. Those aren't my words. C.S. Lewis said, I don't agree with everything he said, but he said some profound things. How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Oswald Chambers put it this way, the destined end of man is not happiness nor health, but holiness. God's one aim in the production of saints, he's not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save us out of pity. He came to save men because he created them to be holy. God made man in his own image and God is holy. And he's calling us to that wholeness. Jesus is holy. Luke 1.35, 
And the angel answered and said to her, to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Holy Spirit, the Holy One. Even demon-possessed people that identify Jesus, they came raging after him and said, We know who you are, the Holy One of God. And you and I are asked to imitate Jesus. Peter preaching, Acts chapter 3. He said in verse 14, But you denied the Holy One in the just, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Hebrews 7.26, For such a high priest it was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Jesus is holy. His law is holy. Romans 7.12, Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. And you've maybe heard me say this before, but, um, you know, if you talk right now about going on a tour to the Holy Land, what are you talking about? Israel. Going to Israel. And if you're in Israel and you say you're going to the Holy City, what city are you going to? Jerusalem. You're going to Jerusalem. And if you're in Jerusalem and you say, I think I'm going to go visit the Holy Mount, where are you going? Mount Zion. Mount Moriah, where the temple used to be. And there in the temple, at the holy temple, they had two places. They had the holy place, and then inside the holy place, technically, it was the inner sanctum called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, you had the holy ark, and in the holy ark, you had the holy law. So if you were to sort of draw concentric circles on the planet, and you were to look for the bullseye, it would be the holiest place in the world would be the house of God and the law of God. And just for Adventists, don't miss this important point. In the law of God, you find the word holy one time. It's in the com commandment, the Sabbath commandment that defines this day. Something that is set aside, it's set apart to be treated with a special relationship. Amen? Amen. His law is holy. 2 Peter 2.21 for it would, been, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turn from the holy commandments that was delivered to them. What a privilege when you think about that God spoke from a mountain audibly to a nation. And I know there have been expeditions of people going around the world saying, oh, if we could find the lost Ark of the Covenant, wouldn't that be something to find that golden box? The important thing was the rocks in the box, and even more important than the rocks in the box was the words on the rocks in the box, which you happen to have in your Bible. It is not far away from you where you should say, who will ascend into heaven and bring it down to us? It's not down under the ocean. You've got to get Jonah with scuba gear to bring it back up. But it's very near unto you. The Word of God is right there. Holy Word. Message from God. His Word is holy. His name is holy. Holiness is the most sparkling jewel of his crown, Thomas Watson said. It is the name by which God is known. On the high priest, he wore a crown, and the crown had one thing written in it, holiness to the Lord. And you and I are called to be a nation of kings and priests. Holiness to the Lord should be our crown. God's called us to that. Exodus, and that's, by the way, in Exodus 39.30, Psalm 111.9 Holy and awesome is his name. Luke 149. 
for he is mighty who has done great things for me and holy is his name. Now, just a little pet peeve. I don't know any way to say this without saying this, but of course, as Christians, one of the commandments also says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And that, of course, would encompass you not to swear, to curse, to speak with profanity. Jesus said, don't even make frivolous vows. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. How much more we should be careful at the mention of God's name. When I came to Christ after reading the Bible in the cave, I'd go down to town and one person I never forgot, his name was Brother Harold. And he was a, a Jewish convert to Christianity. When I knew him, he was in his 60s or 70s. And uh, just one of the, he, he just was like a pastor for all the street people, godly fellow. He'd wake up three in the morning, read the Bible in Greek and Hebrew. Uh, learned how to say God loves you in all these different languages because all the visitors that came through Palm Springs, he'd find out what language they spoke and he'd say God loves you and he was always giving out tracts. But I remember he'd go to the hospital, he'd quote scripture to all the people in the hospital. They used to let him just come in and visit the Mona. He was a self-appointed chaplain in Palm Springs. And he'd quote the word of God and his voice would shake because he said, this is the words of God. And whenever he said the name of God, his voice would, he'd pause and he'd say it with reverence. You know, the Jews, when they were writing out the scriptures and they got to the name of Yahweh, they would put down their regular pen, not all, but many of the old scribes, the Orthodox scribes, and they'd put down their regular pen. They'd say a prayer. They picked up a special pen for writing the name of God. And then they'd say another prayer and put it down and go on. The name of God was so holy, they wouldn't even write it with the same pen because it was set apart. Now, sometimes I hear people say, and I don't think they realize it, Christians will, you hear them say, gosh. Where do you think that comes from? You ever do the etymology of that word? It's a derivative of God's name. Sometimes people say, gosh, and they put another word with it. Sometimes people say, gee or gee whiz. And that's really kids that wanted to curse, but they didn't want to say it, so they just sort of corrupted it a little bit and thought they'd get away with it. A lot of that goes on in our culture. I don't think that we should even get near the border of saying God's name in vain. Holy is his name, amen? amen. Revelation 15, four. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. John 17, 11, Jesus said, Holy Father, keep through your name those who you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Now we are called to holiness. God has called us to holiness. We receive that holiness as a gift through justification when we come to Christ. And he just, like the prodigal son, when he came home, the father wraps him with his own robe and he declares us holy. He gives us a fresh start. He cleans our robe and gives us his robe. But then he asks us, after we've received this gift of holiness, to live holy lives, which you can't do without his grace. People misunderstood, they often misunderstand grace. They think grace is all about a cover-up. Grace is a power. It is a virtue, 
of God's goodness that he gives to do his will. You cannot live the Christian life without the grace of God. The grace isn't just to forgive, it's to empower us to do his will. By his grace we are saved. By his power we are saved. It's a power of love. Revelation 14:1. then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name what name is that? The holy name. What's written in the foreheads of the 144,000? A holy name, like the high priest, written in their foreheads. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness. If you've been called to follow Jesus, he didn't call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given us his Holy Spirit. There is no holiness without Christ and there is no wholeness without the holiness of Christ. Luke 1, 74, this is Zechariah speaking after John the Baptist was born and the Holy Spirit opened his mouth. He speaks a prophecy and he says, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lusts, this was our memory verse, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, he's quoting Leviticus, be ye holy, for I am holy. We're being called to be his children. He's not only our savior, he's our king. He's our Lord, amen? Ephesians 4.24, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, friends, I could go a long time and just give you verse after verse, but I know I'd lose you, even though it's the word of God. But I could give you all these proof texts that are very clear that God is calling us not to just be forgiven of our past sins, but to live in a newness of life. This is what the new covenant is. This is what it means to be born again. Old things are passed away. All things are made new. We become new creatures. There's a new drive, a new motive, a new desire. The things you once loved, you hate. The things you once hated, you now love. That's the new covenant. He takes the stony heart away. We yearn for that which is noble and just and pure and good. And when we're exposed to the other, it grieves us. Grieved by sin. Longing for purity of heart. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged. Uh, sanctification takes time. In the book Acts of the Apostles, page 560, the author says, Sanctification is not the work of a moment, an hour, a day, but of a lifetime. And the word sanctification, it means the process of becoming holy. We grow in holiness. And that means that saying yes to God sometimes means saying no to the things that offend His holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 5, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The Christian life is a new walk. Jesus said there are two roads. You got the wide, broad, broad road to destruction. You got the narrow, straight road to life. Isaiah describes that road in chapter 35, verse 8. A highway will be there and a road, and it'll be called the highway of holiness. And the wicked will not pass over it. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Walking after Christ is walking in a new life of holiness. Now, to me, this is an important message because there's a lot of lost people out there. Jesus is coming soon. We have limited time, and we need to reach as many as we can while time remains. Holiness is the way to win souls. Holiness is redemptive. The best evangelistic thing that can happen is holiness. Let me give you some verses. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, you're a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises. We are to go out proclaiming the praises. Why? Because we're a holy people of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Dwight Moody said, a holy life will produce the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they only shine. And so when we're letting the light of Christ shine through us, it will affect others around us. King David, in his prayer of repentance, Psalm 51, he said, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your generous spirit. He mentions the spirit twice and then he says, then... I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. One of the early church fathers, St. John Christendom, said, If only ten among us be righteous, the ten will become twenty. If the twenty, then fifty. The fifty, a hundred. A hundred, a thousand. The thousand will become an entire city. As when ten lamps are kindled, the whole house might be easily filled with light. So it will be with the progress of spiritual things. If but ten among us lead a holy life, we will kindle a fire which will enlight, enlighten an entire city. God said he'd spare Sodom if he could find ten saints there. There was hope for revival. One Jonah going through Nineveh brought revival. If God's people would really understand and appreciate and embrace and pursue holiness, you'd see an evangelistic revival. Let's face it, a lot of the world loves to jeer and mock Christianity. Why? Because of our inconsistency. We say one thing and we live another. But what if we really lived it? Look at how the gospel spread like fire in the first centuries. Why? Because they'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And people could not deny how they loved each other. There was a holiness in their lives. They were set aside for God. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. When we're walking in the light of his love and his law, there is a converting influence behind that. If you want to see a revival, uh, you know, as, I'm an evangelist. We're always exploring what new methods, can we get better equipment, what machines, or is there a seminar, or, you know, what program. And we're, we're wanting to use all the tools we can use. But in reality, I know the thing that's really going to make the biggest difference evangelistically is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when people fall in love with the Lord, we've trained a lot of evangelists at Amazing Facts over the years. We have some of you here, AFCO graduates, and many are in ministry now, some in leadership. But something I discovered, you know, when you first meet people that come for evangelism training, um, I've learned don't judge a book by its cover. Some were very eloquent and polished and educated, but they didn't have that depth of sincerity where they were poor in spirit and hungered for righteousness. And then we met some that just looked like they were really rough. They just fell off a tractor or something. 
but they were sincere. And they would go out and do evangelistic meetings. We said, how in the world is that guy? He looks like Elvis in cowboy boots. How is he getting all of these, these baptisms? The people knew he was real. And then the others might be very polished, but there was something superficial. People are looking for the real thing. And if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness and you're going out to win others to the Lord, they'll want what you have. The reason I ultimately surrendered to the Lord is I met some real Christians. And they were happy and they didn't have any drugs. I wanted to know what it was. And I found out they had a relationship with Jesus and they longed for the purity of heart because they saw sin separated them from Christ and they wanted to be closer to Christ, so sin was the enemy. And they lived their lives to get everything out of the way that was separating them from Christ. Jesus came to save us from our sins because he loves us, he wants to be with us, and sin is a barrier. So he saves us from that which separates us because he wants to be at one with us. And that's what holiness is all about. We'll be much more effective. Some of you remember reading in school that literature about King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And uh, Tennyson wrote about Sir Galahad who said, I have the strength of ten men because my heart is pure. I think the reason that David could bring down Goliath is because his heart was pure. He was sincere. There's a power that we'll have for evangelism. Now, holy people doesn't mean they're not tempted anymore. I'm not saying you need to go try to live on a pillar somewhere, as some aesthetic, and try to get closer to God through isolation. I lived in a cave by myself, and I'd go a long time without seeing anybody, and you know, it's hard to be holy by yourself, too. Uh, it's easier, actually, for me to be close to God if I'm engaged in talking to others about God, because we're all affected by our own words. And I'm blessed as I open the word with others. God becomes, he reveals himself. You're, he fills those who are willing to be used. So we're not saying that you're not going to be tempted. You're supposed to isolate yourself. Jesus was tempted. Hebrews 4.15, for we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And Revelation chapter 2 and 3, seven times, Jesus says to him that overcomes. Why would Jesus say that if it wasn't possible? I don't like to underestimate what God can do. G. Campbell Morgan said, Holiness is not freedom from temptation, but it's a power to overcome temptation. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, but through the Holy Word and with the Holy Spirit, he was able to reject the advances of the devil and the holiness of Christ was a rebuke and Satan fled from him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But it's only as you put on the holy armor of God you can do that. Now, let's talk a little bit about the why and and how. Um, we become like what we look at. And that's especially important in our culture today. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. How does this sanctification take place? We're being transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. 
You become like what you look at. We are somewhat like photographic plates. And as we gaze upon the Lord, His image is impressed on our souls. That's why we sing that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. They knew the disciples had been with Jesus through constant exposure for three and a half years. They sort of took on His mold. They became like Him. What are you looking at? What are you listening to? How much are you looking and listening? I suspect that if you're like most people living in North America today or even in the world, we are bombarded by so much media. It used to just be television, but now it's just your smartphone. It's everywhere. I pump gas at a gas station where they got a commercial on the machine while I'm pumping my gas. <laughs> And they're trying to sell me some. There's just messages everywhere. Can't even get your gas. <laughs> so what are we going to do? Go run and climb a pillar? The Lord is telling us that He wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit and send us out into an unholy world to live holy lives. It's a challenge. A lot of Christians are Christians on the outside, but they're feeding on the wrong material. Uh, we were in South Africa about a year ago, I guess earlier this year. February, yeah. They've got a beautiful butterfly. It's a dainty blue, delicate butterfly. Its wings are like jewels. It flits very gracefully around. Uh, until you see it land for supper, it eats dung. <laughs> Looks really pretty, but it's got a disgusting appetite. <laughs> and it sort of describes some Christians. They look really good. But if you only saw what they ate, and we feed on things that no Christian would, should ever feed on. You know, they say with computers, garbage in, garbage out. Some of us are trying to live the Christian life, and we're struggling, we're sincere, but we still haven't made the connection between you can't feed on the world and think holy thoughts. Sometimes one image you take in will stay with you for years. And we've got to guard the avenues of our soul. It's kind of like the helmet of salvation, except think more astronaut helmet. You've got these holy avenues to your soul. You've got to be careful what you listen to and what you watch. And I will set no evil thing before my eyes. God's called us to holiness. Job 31.1, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon? He's talking about lusting, a young woman. Someone said, it's not enough that a gardener would love flowers, he must hate weeds. Or it will choke the flowers. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. We cannot gorge the carnal nature and then live by the Spirit. And, uh, you know, I just, I know, and I'm in this battle with you because we are surrounded. Yeah, I can't even... <laughs> I like Chipotle. <laughs> but the music they typically play is, at least the ones I go to, it's kind of some awful music. I've asked them more than once if they please just turn it down a little bit. And uh, so we're surrounded with it. And it's a struggle. 
And so if you're going to, if there's a certain amount of the world, if you're trying to live a holy life, you're still like a ship in the water, you're going to get barnacles. Y'all, how many know what I'm talking about? And you've got to constantly compensate. Because there are so many other messages, a blizzard of information is, has there ever been a generation in the world, like this generation, being bombarded by more messages? No, never. Not even close. You could, you could live a hundred years, a couple of generations ago, and not get as much information following and plow around on a farm as young people get in one week today. People used to go and listen to the preacher preach and they'd think, well, there's a new thought. They'd think about it all week long because there's nothing else to think about. <laughs> but now there's so much other information that just displaces and eclipses the spiritual information. So what do you do? You gotta fight a fight. Surround yourself, overcome evil with good. What I try to do is I have good sermons. I listen to audio verse. I think they're taping this one. I don't know which one it is. I, in my car, I have preset several Christian stations and I've got some classical music. Karen hates, but, <laughs> but I, I listen to uh, I've got two or three Christian stations, and, uh, and I, when one starts going into commercial, I flip on another one. I've got the little SD drive in my car. I've got the whole spirit of prophecy, and I'm copying different books, and I'm listening to those things. And uh, sometimes I don't feel like it. I'd rather listen to something else. I turn on the news, and then they get into talking about politics, and I'll get wrapped up in that. And I go, oh, no, Doug, you know, you're, you're a citizen of another kingdom. Oh, but this is a lot more interesting. <laughs> Put on Acts of the Apostles. Sometimes I do it and I don't feel like it because I know I need it. Sometimes I eat vegetables I don't even enjoy because I know I need it. <laughs> right? And I'm glad in the long run. And so we've got to be careful what we're eating. A man walked into an artist's parlor one day and he saw that next to the palette in his canvas, he had this basket of these beautiful colored rocks. They looked like gems, but they were probably glass and rock. And he said, why do you have that? And he said, well, you know, as I'm painting, he says, I'm exposed to so many varying hues that I can lose my perception of what a true color is. And so I reference my eyes back on the rocks because they don't change. And it retunes my eyes to real colors. And we've got a rock that needs to be, it needs to calibrate what is truth for us because I'll tell you what, friends, there are some kooky messages going around in the name of Christ in the world today. Some paint themselves up as very sophisticated, but they don't match up with the Word of God. And we're all going to be influenced by environment and culture and trends and fads and heresies. And unless you decide, I'm going to go by the Word of God, you will be exposed to deception. God is calling us to holy. His word, holiness, His word is holy. Jesus is holy. You know, I remember uh, hearing a story about a man, some guy named Fred, old bachelor, lived by himself. And even after retirement, he had a pretty predictable life. 
Uh, he lived in a frumpy little old house he had been in for years, and he'd walk once a day. He'd go up to the local coffee shop, and he'd sit down with some of his friends, and he'd eat, and they'd talk about the good old days, and he'd go home, and that was like the extent of his life. But one day they sat in the antique store window that was on the path to the coffee shop. Some, the proprietor set out this beautiful glass porcelain vase, and it had some shapes and colors and knobs on it and had the colors of like a hummingbird's iridescent throat. It was just really beautiful. They're kind of swirling around like a rainbow and Fred walked by one day, he stopped and he looked at it and he just stood there and he stared. He said, well, I think that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And then he went on, he ate lunch and he stopped on the way home, had to pass it, going and coming from the coffee shop, stared at it again. This went on for a couple of weeks. Every time he went by, he'd stop and just stare at it. Finally, the proprietor saw him every day stopping and looking at the vase, and he came out and said, Fred, you stop and you gawk at this thing every day. Why don't you buy it? I'll make you a good deal. You seem to enjoy it. And he thought, well, I haven't bought anything in a long time. How much? And they agreed on a price, and he proudly took it home. Wanted to sit where he could look at it, so there in his living room by his lazy boy chair, he sat on the fireplace mantel, this beautiful vase, and he sat back and he looked at it and he thought, boy, that is beautiful, but he said, it doesn't look as nice without the light coming through. So he kind of pushed the curtains back and all this dust came off the curtains. And, and he said, boy, I probably need some new curtains. I don't think I've replaced those in 50 years. And so he replaced the curtains. He sat down and a little more light came through and he saw, I don't think that paint was peeling behind it. And he said, that thing's so pretty, but you know, with that peeling paint, it doesn't look quite right. He didn't realize how much the paint had faded. So he painted the walls in the house. He sat down in his chair and the spring popped out of the arm. He said, gosh, it's, it's like probably, I've been sitting in this old chair for 30 years. It, it, I didn't realize the stuffing was coming out. And then next went the carpet. And then he started cleaning the front yard. And then he looked at his wardrobe against that new chair. And he said, I, I don't think I've bought any clothes. And you know where this is going. Little by little, his whole life, his whole house, his front yard, his clothes, everything was renovated by the introduction of something that was pure. That it stood in condemnation of everything else around it. And it transformed everything else around it. And this is what happens when you receive Christ into your life. It's a beautiful thing, but it's a shining light. And it will make every spot of defilement painfully distinct. So you have to do one of two things. You have to get rid of the vase, or you have to transform the house. And the Lord, and this is sanctification. He comes into our hearts and he says, I want to make you new. You can live a new life. That's what the new heart does. God is calling us to holiness, friends. And it's a big deal. There's nothing bigger. There's no more important thing I could talk to you about. Because Jesus said, without holiness, no one will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. He wants us to be pure in our thinking. A lot of us struggle with what Zig Ziglar called stinking thinking. And the only way you can change your thinking is to have a new heart. The only way you can change your thinking is by choosing what goes into your mind. Choosing what you look at. And when the wrong thing tries to find an entrance, you reject it, you rebuke it. And through that, then we can walk a new walk and live new lives. Jude 124 in closing. Now therefore to him who is able to keep you from falling 
and to present you faultless before his presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Living a holy life in this wicked world is as hard as walking on water. And the only way Peter could do it was by keeping his eyes on Jesus. And if you keep your eyes on Jesus, all things are possible. Friends, if we would have a revival of a yearning for holiness, you would see a revival of Christianity that would shake the world. I'd like that in my life. How about you? Could I pray with you before we have our closing song? Dear Father, we want to just thank you again for your presence, for this simple message that uh, you've called us to holiness, and it's so exciting, Lord. We yearn for this. It's, it's so rare in this wicked world. We're used to comparing ourselves among ourselves and by ourselves, and, and Lord, we, we want to set Jesus up on the mantle in our hearts as the perfect standard. I pray that all we do will be measured by him and by his life. I pray that as we spend our time looking at him and beholding him, that it'll have a transforming influence. So we'll be transformed from glory to glory. Bless each person here. There's different ways we need to apply this message, but we know you've called us all to holiness, for you are, are holy. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.